0: Welcome to the Fathers of the Future podcast. I am in beautiful Newport Beach, sunny Southern California with my boy, Greg Pugh. We are outdoors outside, the dogs are barking. It's like a scene from Sublime, a Sublime video from the nineties. What's up my brother? Not much, how you doing? I'm doing great, man. Um, Super happy to have you here. You and I connected through a mutual friend, uh, another father of the future a couple months back. And we not only built a a working relationship, but we have built a friendship. Um, What have these last few months been like for you, Um, not only as a father and a husband and a tattoo artist, but just in general in this post-pandemic climate? We're we're in California, so everybody listening knows it's a little more uptight. It's a little bit freaked out. It's a little bit more stressed out than some of the other uh, cities and states around the country. What's your life been like the past 100 plus days?
1: Um, it's been uh, a roller coaster in a sense. Um, it started at a, a fairly low point in the sense that um, we were dealing with all the shutdown stuff out here. We were dealing with you know having a single kid at, uh, at home, not being able to get out and do what she normally does. Um, You know, I was not able to go out and do the things I'm used to normally doing, going to the gym, things like that, getting out of my house, uh, because I work from home, my studio's there. And uh, so I decided to get into this with you. (laughs) And uh, honestly, it's been, for the most part, nothing but going up. I've had a few moments where I've come down a little bit from that trajectory, but for the most part, it's been 95% 95% of it's been nothing but upwards.
0: And so let's start with that uh, upward spiral of success, as we, we often call it. But let's talk about, you know, just for example, the difference in your morning routine. Um, you know, you were one of those guys that we, we share the, the curriculum, we share the information with, you know, week by week. And week one is always power hour, uh, morning mindset activation. And so you ran with it because that was something new for you, not only in your life, but also in the industry of, of working late nights. Um, what was the shift, uh, to where you were like, holy shit, man, I am capable of doing so much more before my kid even wakes up in the morning that in the past your morning routine was not quite as strong.
1: <clears throat> well, once I, once I got up and started doing and, and realizing that power hour is something, not just that I needed to do that I wanted to do, uh, is it gave me a purpose in the beginning of the day where before I'd wake up, and I didn't really know what to do, especially with everything going on in the country with COVID. Um, I basically was sitting around. Uh, my daughter and I would get up late. Because she wasn't in school either. Right. She wasn't in school at the time. And I decided, you know what? I'm tired of this bullshit. I'm, I want to change. And going and getting up um, at a much earlier hour than I was used to, And sitting down and, you know, putting my shoes on first thing, getting dressed, drinking a glass of water, doing the pushups, you know, doing 50 pushups every morning, sitting down, having my stack, you know, journaling in two journals, reading, you know, a minimum of 10 pages where I generally would start to read even more. It just, it gave me a sense of purpose. And that activated my morning and where I never had that before. I never had morning activation. I had more of morning stagnation. (laughs) And it's when you have that, that lack of activation in the morning, it sets the standard for the way the day is going to go. And then you find yourself struggling to find purpose in a sense. So by starting the day with gratitude and by starting the day with, uh, you know, writing out, what am I focusing on right now? What do I need to focus on? it totally lifted me up and it gave me hope where i was searching for that before and i was feeling sort of hopeless and i didn't really have a sense of where i was going and so it started me it started putting me on that path in the first you know month of i'm excited to wake up in the morning mm, yeah you know where before it was man i don't want to get out of bed this another day of staying at home and uh, it completely changed my mindset.
0: Yeah, there's a few, uh, let's call them tips, tools, training, practice that you have began to implement. And like I said to you a couple weeks back, I was like, man, you're going to be one of the most centered, focused, organized, high-performing tattoo artists in the entire fucking world. Right. Because everyone I know is a shit show when it comes to his mental and physical aptitude. Um, You're in a different category than a lot of other people in your industry. And because of that, it's given you some great results from a professional standpoint. We talk about shameless self-promotion, man, but we're in SoCal, um, 80% covered, you're 95% covered. (laughs) There's a lot of guys out there that that listen to this that are like, dude, I need a new, I need a tattoo guy. Mm -hmm. You're the guy. Give us a little bit about your studio, mm-hmm. the name of your brand. How long have you been doing this
1: for? So I've been tattooing for just about seventeen years. Uh, I just go by Greg Pew Tattoos, straight to the point. You know my name. My name's kind of unforgettable. when you hear the name Pew, um, and you know I've got my own private studio here in Southern California, in South Orange County. And uh, you know I did that. I did that to get away from sort of the negativity that I felt was kind of bringing me down in the industry. Um, because of where I was, I didn't have a lot of people I could relate to in the sense that I'm, I try to be healthy. I try to work out and do my thing and I wanted to be more authentic. And at the time I left where I was, I was much more focused on my family. So I decided to build my studio be able to be a father during the day and take care of my daughter, um, be a stay-at-home parent, and then still be able to do, want to do what I want to do at night. And over time, that grew, and then I had my ups and downs and my ebbs and flows. And just in the past year, I've really been able to tattoo regularly um, with much greater volume, much higher volume. I've been able to open my doors to more clientele. Um, working with you has just... Totally shot me straight up towards the sky in terms of my business growing and really focusing on my brand. And, you know, what do I want to offer my clientele? Who am I really? And why do they come to me? Um, And all those things have just sort of fallen together um, or come together, I should say, um, fallen into place. And so, you know, as a tattooer, I love to do good work. I'm hard on myself like any other artist is, I'm my biggest critic. But I love my relationships with my clients and I love not just offering them work that I really put my heart and soul into, but I love the the relationships that I, that develop. And, um, I look forward to that part almost more than the art part, uh, because I do become friends with a lot of my clientele and it is a business which you've shown me that I kind of went a little too comfortable for a while. Um, but that's pretty much who I am and how I operate.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and I'm excited. Um, you know, I've thrown some work at you that I'm interested in doing and getting done. But let's imagine that there's somebody out there, another one of these dads, right? And I've got my my wife tattooed on me. I actually here's a funny, not so funny story that I think you'll find interesting. And as I share in most episodes, my wife doesn't listen to this podcast, so I'm I'm free <laughs> at will to share as I wish. So uh, I was pretty serious with my wife. You know, We met each other in seventh grade, started dating in high school, high school sweethearts. And right about 20, I decided to get her middle name tattooed uh, on my arm, on my bicep. Her middle name is Joy. I thought, man, that'd be pretty dope. Fits in here with the Japanese and the sun. Uh, let's do it. And then we broke up. And then I dated another girl and the other girl was like, why do you have this other girl's name tattooed on you? You should get that covered up. And I was like, okay. And so I got it covered up. And then a couple of years goes by and I no longer am dating that girl. And so my wife and I get back together. And then I have a daughter who, if we go a little deeper, my wife, her mom, and her mom, there's four generations. Now my daughter's middle name is Joy. So what do I got to do? I got to put it back on me, right? Well, so I put joy on me. So I've got it covered up twice. So this is definitely permanent mm-hmm. <laughs> or, or pretty damn close to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you get a lot of people who come in and and they're looking for for cover-ups and and looking for fixing some shit that
1: somebody else messed up? I do. Um I don't generally go down I I don't stray away from doing cover-ups. Yeah. Um Cover-ups are not exactly my forte, but I do enjoy, especially when someone comes in with a situation like yours, kind of giving them the lesson of, Hey man, if you're going to go down this road of putting someone's name on you, you better be sure, you know, you know what you're doing. What's funny, what's funny about that converse, that story is that I've, I've realized that you and I have a lot of similarity, <laughs> like a lot, which yeah. is, I, I love, yeah. My daughter's middle name is Joy. Oh, shit. Right. Wow. So she's, out, she's named after a girl, Jessie Joy Reese, who was a 12-year-old girl I met. Who I met her when she had severe brain cancer. Mm. I got her to do a tattoo on me. She's really big out here in Southern California. She started this thing called Joy Jars. And um, she um, started stuffing these jars full of toys for kids in the hospital who were getting chemotherapy and couldn't go home. And a week after she tattooed me, I got her to tattoo, uh, that she started this thing called Nigu, which was never, ever give up. And, uh, her middle name was joy Wow. and she changed my life and her, she died a week after I met her mm. and it was super hard for me. And, uh, I'm a spiritual guy and I'm now, I'm a Christian dude and, uh, meeting her was sort of my proof that God exists Mm. because I followed her story as she was going through this process. And her parents told me that that day in the tattoo studio with me was her last great day, Mm. but she had an awesome time. So just sort of a backstory there. But I think it's funny that you went through that. You have that same joy for your daughter's name and I've got that too. But to go back to circle back to what we were talking about, I do try to help people fix things that they don't like. I'll do my best and I always am really honest with them and say, this is what I can offer you. But I also help try to throw a lesson in there at yeah. the same time and say, look, if you don't want to deal with this in the future and have a solid black arm like I do or solid black <laughs> lower legs, you know, which are cover ups of cover yeah, you know, make your choices wisely and think things through. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Shout out to my brother, Jade McLeod, uh, who will definitely be listening to this episode who got his ex-wife, of course, at the time. Not his ex-wife, the mother of his kids, uh, across his belly. First name. I mean, <laughs> Stacy. Jenny, I won't say her real name, but you right. know, it was plastered, right. And since then has now had to get a lot more painful work uh, across the body. By the way, if you're listening to this and you don't have a tattoo, the pain piece of this for for us who consider ourselves to be tatted, right? More than one is that the pain is actually a really, really positive feeling. Because now at this point in the game, you have a lot less room. I have a lot less room. So things have to be uber more meaningful than they were when we first got started. Exactly. right. Which means somebody either died or somebody was born. Right. right? I got a lot of people who no longer walk on this earth on my body, and it's a beautiful reminder of how precious in life is. So you do this work. as an artist that is fucking permanent, Mm -hmm. right? This is real. Mm -hmm. And so a part of that, you have to be not only at the top of your game, but you gotta be hyper-focused on what it is you're doing. You can't be thinking, oh shit, did I get milk? Did I lock my car door? Mm -hmm. Did I send that email? So what, what do you do now with this new practice of yours, activation in the morning time, that is different for your
1: practice, your business? Well, generally, when I know I've got clientele that night, especially if it's a, a much more difficult piece, I write about it. And I, I I put the intention in of saying, look, you know, whether it's to myself saying, Greg, you, you got to really put your all into this and be confident and not stress. Because I think a lot of artists will get to a point where they're doing a really difficult piece and they'll stress about it. And it ends up, shoot, you end up shooting yourself in the foot because <clears> – <throat> <clears throat> Excuse me. You go into yourself not believing you're going to do your best, and you don't. So I'll put the intention there and say, you know, God help me, really focus on this. You know, give me the the strength to really do my best because I, I want to make my clients happy. I want to put my best work out there every time. And so the fact that I have the intention behind it, instead of just tackling as it, tackling it as it comes, you know, and and not mapping it out and not rendering it and just going. You know, I'll, I'll figure it out when I do it, which I have done. It's just complacency and it happens to the best of us, but you know, the best artists, they really work things out ahead of time. It's like, you know, like we talk about like a life mapping, you know, it's the same thing. You've got to, you've got to look at it and go, okay, what I do last time that I can do different this time to make things better. So there's intention in every single piece I do, even if it's a simple piece, you know, I'll think of. You know, how do I approach it last time? How can I make it even better? So I, I, I try to do that with every single thing I do.
0: Yeah, and you just said the word intentions, which is uh, a modern word, if you will, for, for barbarians like us, that when you set an intention, a.k.a. a piece of purpose, and then you follow that up with a reflection, how did it go, return and report, what you've done is you've created this magical book end of success. <clears throat> Right, You can have an intention and a reflection for your morning routine. You can have an intention and a reflection for your date night with your wife. Mm -hmm. You can have an intention and a reflection for how your workout went. Mm -hmm. And if you can just use those two keys, um, not only philosophically, but also strategically, that this is what you're going to do to prepare for an experience or an event. And then when it's over... How did it go? What did you do well? What could you have done better in? These are some of the same principles I'm I'm doing my best to teach my kids, which is challenging because they don't hear me speak English like I am now. They hear wah, 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 <laughs> And that's also a challenge. Your daughter is eight? Yes, almost eight years old. Almost eight years old, uh, independent, only child, mm-hmm. mom and dad, both at home, same house, Right. What are you learning about yourself in this journey of fatherhood in these first eight years that you knew nothing about prior to being a dad?
1: Well, I learned what you frequently say to me, which is that I'm the white belt. You know, I'm I'm consistently having to remind myself that, look, I've never done this before. I I don't have the practice of, you know, having another child and then going, okay, what what can I do differently this time? And I've learned that I beat myself up a lot in the past for mistakes I made raising my daughter. Cause you know, every man for the most part that has the intention of again, you know, the intention of loving your family and doing the best, especially for your kid um, and raising them the right way. And before I would beat myself up for every little mistake I'd make. And it would just, it would just, I would sabotage things. And what I've learned now is that like you said, you know, you you're born new. Every, you're born A new every single day. The past is the past. And if you focus on that bullshit, it's not going to help anyone, especially your kid. It's going to harm your kid. So I realized that I can wake up every day and go, you know, I reflected on this last night. I, you know, I, I was down about how I might've reacted or, you know, whatever. And I focus on the fact that I am in a leadership role. Um, and just like you would be in business, you know, you're, you're in the business of being a dad and, you you have to focus on where you went wrong and apply that and you know, go, you know, today I'm not gonna cuss in front of my kid, which is one of my biggest pitfalls. Fuck, it's so hard. <laughs> it's it's really fucking hard, especially when your <laughs> wife says that's one of the things she hates the most, because you're on eggshells going, I don't wanna I don't wanna mess up. Um but I focus on the fact that when I see her feeling awesome when I'm doing great as a dad that that fills me with so much love that I, that I think, man, I'm going to do this every day. I'm going to focus on that feeling and how am I going to achieve that and get to that place every single day? And I'll make mistakes. You know, I don't ever expect to be perfect, but I do know that when mistakes happen, I can just learn from them. It's just like my business. You know, I want to be the best artist as you know, I want to paint the best portrait of as a father and so I, you have to go through, you know, like you said, you know, awareness and reflection and figure out where are you making your mistakes, fix them, and then apply them, you know, those new tools that you get and the new insight you get into just doing the best that you can. And that's all you can really do, you know?
0: Yeah. You just, you just wrapped up fatherhood in a, in a nutshell, right? Uh, do the best that you can and don't focus on yesterday just keep it simple right if you can if you can just follow those two standards things will always be better and as we know men the men that are listening fathers of the future we will often struggle with what is our place what what is our play what is our role <clears throat> what are we supposed to be doing Right? The days of dad getting up and waking up and going to work and coming home at the end of the day and being in an office don't exist for men like you and me right. as we work for ourselves and we're entrepreneurs and we hustle and grind and, and learn and continue to grow. There's a lot of men like that now. The, the standard operating procedures of a father are no longer what they were. Your wife works. My wife yes. works. right, and, and so we then fill this void whatever that may be, in our home, a good friend, guy you know, said, dude, you got to figure out if you're the king or the queen, because right now you're both. Right. And he hit me with that shit like 10 days ago. And I was like, what the fuck? Motherfucker, I'm the king, but wait a second, I'm packing lunches and crying, drying tears. And damn, that's a fucking queen doing that right there. Right. And so maybe the terminology needs to change being multi-dimensional might be a better term. Right. But the reality is we are both king and queen in this new modern family, right? which then can pull us in different directions. Mm-hmm. Am I doing all that I need to do as a father that role, <clears throat> or do I find myself being more of the masculine doing these other things? And so we go back and forth. Clearly, we both have masculine bodies with feminine emotions, the polarities. Yes. And if you're listening to this and you're not a client, you're not a student, you're not somebody deep in my corner, there is a book called The Way of the Superior Man by David Data. It is my number one relationship book to buy over... Love languages, your five love languages, because it's more about the masculine and understanding the diversity of those polarities Mm -hmm. and that how all human beings, male or female, I'm not gonna talk about the third party sex. There's only fucking two. It's Mm -hmm. man and it's woman. Mm -hmm. And those two will oftentimes go back and forth between the masculine and the feminine properties. Right. Now you and I are extreme masculine bodies, right? Mm -hmm. Tatted from head to toe, Extremely physical, strong. When we're done with this podcast, we're gonna go fucking jump in the ocean mm-hmm. like 300, right? Mm-hmm. But at the same rate, we come back to this then feminine energy of being somebody who is not afraid to show emotion, right? emotional intelligence. And I used to think this was a weakness. I have another uh, father of the future I'm going to speak about, Austin Fisher, who, man, he, he breaks down when he talks about his kids almost every time to the point where he's like, dude, I'm sorry, guys. And we're like, no, don't be sorry. That's you being you. Mm-hmm. Because men have been told since day one, to fucking pack it in. Just sh- 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 nope. you don't need to feel like that. That's a that's a woman's feeling. Quit crying like a little girl, right? Whatever somebody told us, they told us to muffle our feelings and our emotions. And because of that, we pack it all in and then the next thing you know, we fucking blow it all out. Whether it's alcohol or it's women or it's fucking crashing the car. Like, Remember the movie Falling Down with, with Keith or Sutherland?
1: Uh, oh, you mean um, Michael Douglas. Michael Douglas. Yeah, thank yeah. you, thank you, thank you. Yeah. yeah.
0: He literally loses his shit because everything feels like it's against him. Yeah. Right? This is like the flat tire and my boy says, "Fucking 2020. No, motherfucker, you got a flat tire." Yes. It's not cuz it's 2020, <laughs> yeah, exactly. you got a flat. You got a flat tire. And so what we're doing in this new world in this new family is we are learning to be both the primary caretaker and the financial caretaker and the physical caretaker and, and so on and so forth. The rules have changed. And if you're a man listening to this and you have not understood that you have to be both masculine and feminine, you can't just shove your fist down people's throats and expect to win. And at the same rate, you can't just sit and fucking pray all day long. Mm-hmm. There's no action. Then you are going to feel stuck. And for the first time in possibly your life, for the first time in my life, I know exactly where I am and where I need to be to serve myself and my family and my business and my life, which you can say is your ultimate purpose, but the purpose changes. Purpose is always changing, right? You have adapted to this new change inside of COVID. It's almost like you've had prepared for this prior, right? Leaving a busy tattoo shop in a busy city, you know, no longer being a gym member taking all this shit home, being indoors, and now you train yourself. What would you say to that version of you, maybe just seven years ago, like when you first became a dad, mm-hmm. did you expect any of these things to somewhat play themselves out the way they have?
1: Not, not at all. Yeah. Not at all. Uh, the only thing that I expected that I knew would happen is that I'd love my kid. What I didn't realize was how much you'd have to put into that. I thought it would be easy, because I thought, oh, I'm not going to make the mistakes my parents did. Everything's good. I'm in a great place. I'm making good money at the shop I'm at. And then reality kicked in. And I was like, wow, I have a ton of shit from the past I haven't dealt with. Mm. And it crept in. And I ended up in the hospital, you know, because I ended up with a gun full of alcohol. Thinking this is way harder than I expected. And so that, that's where I was then. And when was that? That was, so that, my daughter was born in January of 2013, and I, I ended up in the hospital in April. <clears throat> Excuse me. I have congestion issues. Um, so, pardon, pardon a- that a- for a- anyone listening. April 2013? Uh, she, April 2013 was when I um, went in the hospital. I went in for three days. I agreed with, my brother was able to help come get me. My stepbrother drove down from LA and said, I I need you to do me a favor and do this for me. You know, we're not going to force you to do anything, but this is what we want. We don't want to see you die. Um, and so to look back just seven years ago, which it seems like a lifetime ago, but really it's not that long ago when you think about, you know, going through your thirties and, you know, then being in your early forties, it really wasn't that long ago. But what I did was I realized that, you know, being that my daughter was the most important thing that I had ever had happened to me next to getting married, I knew I had to make shit, you know, work. And so I did go in the hospital and I did find someone that would help change my life in the sense of counseling and therapy and someone that would help expose all of the core issues that I hadn't really understood. And so I started this journey a while ago and what I ended up realizing was that I had all these emotions that I was able to talk about, but I wasn't able to apply them to my life in every sense, as far as the tools that I had learned for, I'd learned, I had gotten tools to open up and realize what I had gone through. What I didn't get was now, how do I move forward from that? So there's this big book of open wounds. But now, now where's the progression from there? So I was stuck in that. And now looking back seven years later, especially within just this last year, you know, deciding that in a time when everyone was pointing the finger at everyone else and getting pissed, I wanted to look in the mirror and point the finger at myself and say, how can I make this better? Hmm. And so in that aspect, leaving the shop was really hard for me because I was essentially giving up that aspect of my career. But, and then I put myself in a place where I told myself that false narrative, you know, we talk about, I told myself the story, I'm never going to be where I, where I, I want to be. I could have been here. I could have done this. I could have been making $350,000, $400,000 a year. I could have been one of those best tattooer type of guys, popular. And then, you know, I met you and it was, why can't you be successful? And it was because I told myself a story that that there was a ceiling, that there was a limit to what I could do. And now, where I am today, exactly, I realize that all that's bullshit. And I mean, I've already seen the progress since I met you. I mean, I've quadrupled my business. I mean, it's it's insane.
0: Doing some very small, tiny, very little, small. Little thing. Little I
1: mean, just tweaks, just which a lot of tattooers, you know, they'll call into a shop and say, "Hey, you know, what's your schedule look like?" And you might have a shop helper or someone that gets on there does scheduling for people, but just by putting Calendly in my, you know, on my phone and just sending that link to people, it doesn't make people wait on me. So when they get that initial itch or that impulse to get tattooed, they get on there and they schedule it and they're excited right away. There's no second guessing what they want to do.
0: Something as simple as automation using an app and technology.
1: I I would say just that alone (laughs) increased my business by 50%, (laughs) literally, because it made things so much easier. And then it was like, they get an email, I get an email, and they're like, uh, we're set. Confirmed. Yeah. And they get to pick the time that I think which empowers them in a sense. They're like, oh, this is cool. I get to make this work on my time. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, so much has changed in seven years. So hold on. We got
0: to go back for a second. No worries prior to that seven-year point Uh had you ever had a gun in your hand drinking never
1: is that the closest you ever came to
0: first time we're going to use it on the show
1: suicide uh no when i was 15 i was in a very severe agoraphobic state i had had severe panic disorder for a few years um, and i had not left my house for two years except to go to school Um, and i got to a point where i was going through all these different medications which can be really rough especially in your teenage years going through all those hormones and i ended up going to my therapist and saying i want to kill myself and i'm thinking about how to do it and i'm thinking about you know i'm thinking about hanging myself and so i was open with them and i said i I want to and i know that that's what's scaring me is i'm trying to figure i have a plan and once you get a plan you got to tell on yourself and i had a plan and I knew when I got to that spot, even at the age of, well, I was 14, I had enough wherewithal, which a lot of people don't have, to go tell on myself. So, yeah, that I had that before, but that at the age of 30, what was I, 2013, 34, I had never had a gun in my hand before. And I didn't have it in my hand. I had it with me in my car. Sure. But I was going down that path. Yeah. I mean, I was sitting in a bar alone, drinking heavily, thinking, where am I going to go do this? Yeah. And,
0: and so we have to take a quick break to, to, to listen, not only to what Greg just said, but to reinforce it. You may be listening to this and you've never had a suicidal tendency in your life. Fantastic. But it doesn't mean you won't have one. Second to that, if you're listening to this, you most likely have a child. And you're going to be exposed to suicidal tendencies, thoughts. They're going to lose friends to suicide. And you're going to be like, what the fuck? Johnny was such a nice kid. What the fuck? Susie was so polite. And so we don't know. So I have to take a minute just to sort of frame that. I called 1-800-SUICIDE-ONCE, which exists, my friend's remember that at the top of everything else. And the first question they asked me was, does this person, my child, know how they are going to do it? And it sounds like that's where you got to at 14 years of age, is you told on yourself, which I think is so fucking powerful. And then you knew that this was the way you were going to do it. Because oftentimes, I had a conversation earlier with a client who said, I don't know if they're saying it to get attention. And the first question they ask you at the suicide hotline is, have they told you how? It's one thing to be like, you know what? I'm going to fucking jump. I'm going to commit suicide. It's another thing to be like, I've made a decision to end my life by hanging myself with a rope. And so there is a step-by-step process there. So dads, parents, we have to listen to what people are saying. Be a fucking better listener than you are a better talker. That's the problem with... With I'll say it, I own it. Sometimes I, I try to coach my kids, right? And that's not helping because what they need most of the time is they need to be able to talk and we need to be able to listen. And so suicide is not something that is ever going to go away. It's been here since the beginning of time. It will be here till the end of time. It cannot be a voodoo conversation. Two men need to be able to look each other in the eyes and be like, yo, brother, how you doing, man? How's it going? Things are good. Fantastic. Well, what's going on? Well, here's how it's going with my business and my wife and my kid, and it's great. Versus, hey, things are really fucked up right now. I'm thinking about killing myself. Okay, this person has told me that. You don't need to talk at that point. You need to listen to what they're saying. And so through therapy, through having an open dialogue with yourself and others, you got through that Really, really challenging time. Seven years ago, you had a gun, you had a car, you had some alcohol, and you got through that. But suicide has also haunted you lately. Mm-hmm. It has. And please share with the listeners how, not only have you gotten to this place in your life that has has given you more fruition than any other time in life because of the work you've done on yourself, but you've also been in a position where you can't
1: help and save everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. Um... So a couple months ago, one of my closest friends sent me his daughter's boyfriend to come be a potential client. Um, Amazing athlete, 19 years old, six foot four, in insane shape, handsome kid, polite kid. But when he came to me, I I sensed something was going on. And I think because I've been around people in group therapy sessions, different, you know, different things, I'm, I'm pretty intuitive. I'm not tooting my own horn. It's just something I've always been really empathetic. I knew something was going on so I called my friend and said something's not right with this kid and he said oh you know he's just kind of a knucklehead sometimes and I told him what was going on and he's like that that is a little weird but I wouldn't read too much into it well a couple days later he said hey the kid's kind of gone off the rails you know he's coming by my house he's threatening me he's telling my daughter if she doesn't talk to me he's gonna fight me and my my buddy's about 6'4 260 scary as hell looking um covered in tattoos used to be a kickboxer um and he's like, I don't know what's going on with this kid, but you know, I gotta, I gotta keep my daughter away from him. Uh, so he ended up hitting this kid's parents up and saying, "You gotta come get your kid," because he's saying he's gonna come to my house, and if he does, I have to protect my family. Called the parents multiple times. They're on vacation. So, my least favorite word of the day, by the way. Right, right. We talked about vacation. That. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I kind of jumped ahead of myself. So prior to all that going down. Uh, Oh no, right about that time, the kid kept hitting me up about tattoos and I, you know, I decided to kind of lie to him gently and say, Hey, you know, I don't think this is the right work for me because I didn't want to get, it was a conflict of interest. So he kept, you know, text messaging me crappy stuff about my buddy. And I, I so I, instead of getting mad, I called him, I said, look, I've been in your situation. You're angry. Your parents have gone through some shit. They lost, you know, your dad lost his job. You lost your house here in, in Newport beach. COVID's hitting. You just lost your girlfriend that you love. Let me help you through this. I've been there. I don't want to see you make those mistakes. So we talked for about 45 minutes and he was like, you know, you're a really cool guy. I wish we could do the work. I hope you're serious about the reason why you're not doing it. And I, I, you know, I didn't want to hurt him. So I I did lie to him and I I don't like lying to people, but I, I just tried to let him down easy. And he, he ended up continuing to text me and I finally just said stop texting me so he left me alone and then about a month later he hit me up and said you know I've been thinking about the tattoo and I'm like this this kid's not getting it right so I just ignored it I didn't want to you know reopen up the conversation and then a couple weeks later my friend texts me and says hey man you know this kid went and he threw himself in front of a truck Hmm. and he's in the hospital with brain damage and I was shocked and by the end of the day my buddy text messaged me dude he's dead Mm. and i was fucking i was angry and i felt bad because i thought why didn't i just pick up the phone and call him and check on him and i wasn't close with him but i felt like i might have been one of the few people who opened myself up to hearing his issues because a lot of men don't do that and i know that it was it wouldn't have been my responsibility either way. I could have talked to the kid and he could have still made the exact same decision. But it was really rough, and it was rough seeing how it affected my friend and his family. And, you know, my friend was fucking angry because he went through his own internal struggle of wanting to help the kid, but being in this dilemma of having to protect his daughter at the same time. So who, by the way, will
0: now feel this <clears throat> her yeah for the rest of her life, which is what can trigger me about suicide mm-hmm. and, I, and I was suicidal, stage one, right. didn't, didn't have the stage two planned out, Right. but there were a few times in my life where I can remember, man, what would happen if I just jumped? What would happen if I just left? What would happen if I just did that? And so he took that to that next level, which pisses us off because we go, fuck man, we were there, mm-hmm. right? You were there at 14. I was there at 17. And so what it does is it hurts everyone else. It does. Everyone else. It does. But him. Now, without to get religious or spiritual, let's just imagine that his life ended in that moment. And he left everything to be felt for years if not generations to come, right? We talked about epigenetics on the pre-show a little bit. Right. Right? Guys, you, you hear me talk about this all the time. We have inherited the history of mankind. If you have a feeling or an emotion that persists, that you're like, this is not me, it may have been something that your grandfather or your grandmother or your great-grandmother actually dealt with. Everything from trauma to addiction. And so we are born with some of these inherent traits that we have to then unlearn. And it pisses us off when somebody 19 years old commits suicide because they just didn't stop long enough to realize that whatever problems they had, they're temporary.
1: Yeah, and I agree with a lot of that. Um, and I, I'm almost afraid to say this. It was a little different in his scenario, in his situation. Is I think there were some underlying possible schizophrenia, and I, I he didn't have that help. And so where my anger came from was I, and I don't know this. To be true, I know the story my friend told me, which was I don't feel like, feel like his parents were reading the signs, and I don't feel like they were there. They were caught up in their own bullshit, and that's what made me mad. It made me mad that possibly the stigma that we have, especially with this generation of oh this guy's probably just crying out for attention or whatever, people didn't help him, and I they look at that in a sense. When we talk about masculine and feminine energy, I think they look at it as like a feminine thing. Uh, he's just being weak. He's being a pussy, whatever you, whatever you want to say. And so a lot of the anger I had wasn't, it wasn't directed at him. It was directed at where, where did we all fail him? And I know there are some people like I, I made an Instagram post about it. If, if you have any interest in seeing my post about it to kind of get more of a feeling, I, my Instagram is just Greg P U G H. And I have a video on there where I'm talking about this. Um, but I, I I was just pissed about the stigmas that come along with this whole thing because I feel like we can solve a lot of these issues, but there's, there is this stigma of if you're doing this, you're weak and you are weak in a sense, but a lot of these weaknesses are not weak in the sense of, you know, this kid was a, a muscular, strong kid, but there was a mental weakness and people didn't, they weren't in tune with that. And again, I think that they, you know, maybe his friends were like, oh, he's just being a, a weirdo or whatever. And he's young too. And a lot of people don't know how to deal with that shit. And I know from experience that they don't. What you mean? Relationships, not going right, breakups. Right, yeah. right. And, and, you know, maybe his guy friends were like, dude, he's going wacko or whatever. And I, I think we got to teach our kids at a young age, like, look, when this happens, you know, go to the kid's parents, go to your parents and say, hey, I'm concerned about my friend. And. I I was just mad in the sense that I felt like there's something I could have done. And again, I talk about this in the video I posted, you could go help someone and they're still, they may still make the ultimate choice to end their life and that's their choice. So there is definitely some selfishness in that. And I think the good thing in saying that there's selfishness in that is that what I've learned is, you know, I use this term playing the tape. So when you start to have these thoughts you play the tape in your head of what is going to happen to everyone I know if I make this choice. So playing the tape was something that one of my therapists told me, and I love that. I love that saying is you just replay that tape in your head over and over. And listen, man, a lot of us that go through depression, we have these thoughts repeatedly because we create these neural pathways where our mind says, Hey, this is where we're going to go when we get depressed. And I catch myself doing it a lot. You know, would would life be easier? Am I making everyone's life harder by being here? And then I go, Oh, shut the fuck up, man. Mm-hmm. This is just a habit. You're just it's a pity party. I'm being selfish right now. I'm not figuring out how to hit this head on. Which circles back to the whole reason I'm part of this in the first place is where where am I lacking in my life where I'm letting that be like the dominant thought at the age of 43? Why am I not going? Hey, man, figure out a way to get through this as opposed to just settling back into the comfort of depression and anxiety and anger. You have to be able to, you know, put the work, the work into that stuff changing.
0: So Coach Dave Bocce, uh, making an impact with Dave Bocce, one of the first 10 Fathers of the Future podcasts we had on. We talked about suicide and he is Eastern Indian, first generation American football coach. And the joke's like, you know, I'm going to have the first D1 Indian football quarterback Mm -hmm. in in the entire country. But he talked about how in America, things are so easy for us Mm -hmm. that there is no real struggle. When there is a inherent struggle in your life, you don't have time to pity party. And so in India, a family of nine living in a one-bedroom apartment, the youngest or the oldest both have jobs and responsibilities. And if one of them fails to go and act on that responsibility, they feel sorry for themselves, they get stuck in their own way, then the entire family suffers. And so going to get water and traveling two miles each way with two buckets to then hydrate your family so that it can cook, there's no fucking time or energy to pull your own plug because then you break the entire generational life support system that has been there for you and that has given you life. And so over here, we're isolated Americans. Everything is so easy. We go, fuck, life sucks. It'd be so much easier if I just committed suicide.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Not realizing that the repercussions go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And, and again, mental health is not what we are discussing here, right? Right, right. There is a certain level of mental challenges and problems that pe- some people are born with that that they need not only doctors and medicine and therapists, but they, they also need to be put into a different category than those of us who were, were born with all the right tools that just decide over time that life sucks. And therefore, I'm going to make a decision to end the suffering. But when you look at it from a suffering standpoint, right, intentional suffering, what Mm -hmm. we sign up for, Mm -hmm. then we look at life differently. And we know that this pain, this agony, this challenge, this obstacle that we're facing was here and put here for a reason. It's put Mm -hmm. here to make us better, to make us stronger, to make us realize how important life is and that there's no way I could ever take my own life because I've got so much more work to do. I've got so many more people to help. I've got so much more love to give. That little perspective shift, and you wish you could get everybody, but look, suicide is rampant right now, especially in COVID. Teenage suicide, Utah, it's the highest death rate in all of teenagers is taking their own fucking life. Are you kidding me?
1: I know, that's fucking insane. Well, you, is it okay if I jump in there? Yeah. You said a couple things that I wanted to highlight on. One of them was you were, there. there definitely is a separation. Uh, in the in certain categories of people that deal with this I told myself for years I fell into that category and I did to an extent I definitely have a chemical imbalance when it comes to the panic but I also realized that's at one point that I had been telling myself uh, this false narrative for years that i there's no way out of this and what I finally realized was being in group therapy with other people that I was like holy shit we are we all our problems are all unique to each person, right? We all have our own understanding of what suffering is. But when you, when you go outside of that box, when you think outside of that box and you intentionally look at other people's suffering, it gives you a whole new perspective. Mm -hmm. When you talk about kids in India, having to go and get water for their parents. I mean, I've heard stories of why people were suicidal and I go, Holy shit. Why am I fucking dealing with this? Mm -hmm. You know, when I was in the hospital, when I was, 14 you know there were kids in there that were 14 years old that had been raped by their bosses i mean kids that had been had the shit kicked out of them by their parents and mine was because i was afraid of stuff and it made me feel super weak and i thought what the hell, what the hell am i doing you know where and it gave me it definitely gave me a perspective and it helped me and so you do have to go outside the box and it's hard sometimes because you think, oh, man, my life's so hard. You know, one of my best friends is paralyzed on the left side of his body for the most part. He had a stroke. This guy survived cancer and then was hit by a car or hit by – he was T-boned in his car. And then three weeks later was rear-ended and threw a clot from the first accident and had a stroke of three days later. He has, like, the worst luck in the world. And I frequently talk to him, and I've had to talk him down off the ledge a lot and say, look, man – I know you feel like your life's done because you you can't go out and surf anymore, but there are people that can't move their body from the neck down, man. There, people are dying. You know, you're alive. And he gives me strength a lot because when I'm feeling weak, I'm like, man, my knee hurts because I had ACL surgery last year, but my friend John can't fucking walk the right way. So we do have to remind ourselves, those of us that don't fall into that category of strictly having that chemical imbalance, and saying, yes, our suffering is real and the pain is real and no one can take that away. But if we, if we look to other people, it'll put things in perspective and it, it doesn't make you a pussy for feeling that way. And you're not weak for feeling that way. And you're actually stronger because once you go and you see, you know, Hey man, you know, I I can get out of this. There's strength in that. So how, it, would you,
0: how would you compare group therapy with, say, a mastermind with, so that, with men? And we did that with Fathers of the yeah. Future. <clears throat>
1: That's a really good question. Group therapy, what that did for me was open the doors to saying, so just to be totally blunt, when I went in the hospital, I met this therapist. He said, there's something deeper here. Because the first time I ever talked about suicide, I didn't have a... Well, I set had a plan. I was four and a half years old. And I told my mom I wanted to hang myself. And I went deeper with this guy and realized that there was sexual abuse when I was a kid that I had written off as just a momentary weird thing. And what the therapy did was highlight these core issues. And being in group therapy helped me in the sense that I saw other people open up and realize the issues but what it did what we talked about this earlier was it just left me with this open book of okay i know all these things that were problems in the past but how do i move forward from them cuz i could go through them over and over and i knew what they were but they lingered and you know you're taught like deal with your resentments it's sort of like the 12 steps in mm-hmm. you know alcoholism you know figure out where you went wrong where other people went wrong forgive yourself forgive them but i didn't know how to move forward physically and when I met you and started doing this, it gave me uh, it gave me a set of tools to implement daily. So it it gave me direction. It gave me um, an, sort of an outline, and then I had to fill in, you know the 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 spaces of what is that outline, you know, kind of like writing my own book. I told you I want to write a book, and, and it was sort of writing my own book on how to figure my life out in, in a metaphoric sense. I had to go through and go, man, I, you know, I, I get the first chapter I have to tackle is my mind mm-hmm. and then my body and spirit and all those things and then balance awareness and all that. It started all falling into place. And what that did was go, okay, I've already dealt with understanding that there's shit in the past. Now it's time to put that to rest and live because what I was doing with group therapy was figuring it all out. But then I lived in that. I lived in the past for like four years, mm-hmm. not even, not 40. I was, it was like six years. And then I finally said, this isn't gone anywhere. I got to make, I got to, I got to move forward and face some of the fears that were still lingering. So this, and I've, I've told so many people about this the experience that I've had, it, it, it's propelled me forward in a way that group therapy is great, but it couldn't propel me forward Because we spent a lot of time talking about our issues and had some tools that were given to us, but there wasn't a plan of attack, you know, in that, in sort of that military sense, how am I going to complete this mission? I didn't have that. Now I do. And every day I wake up, I know there's no excuse not to complete it. Mm -hmm. I know I have to, that's why I'm doing the crucible. Mm -hmm. I know that I have to do it. I know I have to get comfortable being uncomfortable and I, I, I literally, all I can say is there's no excuse. I mean, I tattooed it on my body during the <laughs> middle of this. I tattooed NFE yeah. for no fucking excuses. Yeah. I tattooed GSD for get shit done. Yeah, That way I remind myself for every day. I, I'm, I have a gift and that's the gift of life. Whether you have a family or you don't, you're alive. You have no excuses. And I think that's where this has changed my mind the most. Yeah,
0: that's super powerful, man. And you know, you guys, if you're listening to this and you've been a part of the Crucible, you're a part of Fathers of the Future, you're like, fuck yeah, golden. If you're not, and you're like, oh, what the fuck? This dude's like, you know, advertising and marketing. But what I'm here to tell you is that what we do is all real, right? There's no hidden smoke, there's no mirrors, there's no take this pill and you'll feel better. I'm a teacher, I'm an educator, and the men that come on the show, some have gone through some of the training programs and some have not. And the ones that have are sharing what they're going through in real time, right? You spent a month coaching one-on-one with me, you went into a 12-week mastermind, we did another month of coaching, and now you're going to go and face your fears on top of the mountain at the crucible. Here's my shameless self-promotion in the crucible is that we all need, we, us men, all need a mission. And when the mission is unclear to us, we don't make the same choices that we would. If we know now, this is what I must do in order to get here and to get this done. So really the crucible is just a, an experience. It's a, it's a day and, and unlike group therapy, no disrespect at all. Right. I, I love therapy. Right. I, I consider what I do therapy, but because I don't have a couple letters in front of my name, uh, I don't call it that, but we're engaging in real conversation mm-hmm. that leads to a greater outcome and a better result which is all that therapy is. The reason why we created the Crucible, which is, by the way, October 16th and 17th, uh, we are 10 days out. Mm -hmm. There are two spots remaining for anybody listening to this. So now I am shamelessly self-promoting this because I want to see you not just transform and grow, but I want to see you become this version of you that you were born to be. And when those words were told to me through my various coachings and education, it was an aha Like, I don't sit here and say, man, I I created all this shit. All I did was take what I learned, what worked for me in my life, my experiences, my training, my coaching, my education, and I've laid them out in a systematic format that allows organic conversation, just like we were talking about in the pre-show. Like, this crucible is, we say, 12, 15, 18 hours. It's a full day. This year, we're doing two days as a bonus. But day one is this constant evolution of, hey, how's it going? How you doing? Nope. Hey, how you doing? How's it going? Nope. (laughs) Hey, how's it going? Are you doing good? Great. Nope. And we're constantly putting you in environments that you either have to thrive and survive or die. And nobody's died yet, but (laughs) metaphorically, you have to kill. The person you were driving out there, you've got to kill the stories that you've told yourself. And oftentimes, like me, I told myself the same story about my mom and dad for 39 years, right? Two years ago, was I actually able to let go of the bullshit story that I would become who I was because I had no dad growing up and my mom died when I was 24, and so this work is fucking lifelong. That's mm-hmm. the other thing. People are. Like, How long is your course? It's fucking forever. Exactly. <laughs> and exactly. Right. How long yeah. is your training? For life.
1: Yeah. It, can I jump in for a second? Yeah. Man. You said you said yeah. something, and and I got to touch on this again. This isn't this isn't shameless self promotion for me. Go to my Instagram so you can put a face uh, to hearing this, so you can see that I'm I'm a no bullshit kind of guy. And you and I, you've learned that about me. I'm authentic. When I say stuff about what I'm doing in this, I, I, I'm not here to promote you. Yeah. I'm here because I love what you've done for me. And the difference, another difference in this, between this and, and, and uh, therapy is you don't know the person that you're talking to that has the three letters or the two letters in front of their name. Mm. They're there to hear you. When you have someone like you, that's not just talking the talk you're walking the walk you know, we talk about leadership. You're a leader in that sense. Mm-hmm. I'm not just sitting here listening to you. I'm going, this guy fucking does this stuff because you tell me where you make mistakes. Mm-hmm. And then there's not a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> <Shit>.
0: <laughs> Fuck yeah. But, <laughs> Where's my daughter and wife? Let's have them tell you what my mistakes <laughs> are tell her, I'll today. Tell her, I'll tell her after.
1: <laughs> but you, I, I do this because I see that there is there. I see the results. And so it's not. It's not shameless self-promotion. I mean, the reason we're here is because you do what you do because you are passionate about this. And what that's done is show me where my passion is. You know, and through you helping me, I've helped other people. You know, I've gone on and made these videos on Instagram but you said, hey, make videos. I've had people call me about suicide. I've had people call me about, dude, I'm struggling. One of the, one of the toughest motherfuckers I know called me recently and said, I got to talk to you, man. And this guy is the opposite of me in the sense that when fight or flight comes, he's all fight. He's a tough, strong, badass dude, but has a really hard time talking about his emotions. So there's reward in that sense. Um, but I don't, I don't think this podcast is to just promote, <laughs> you know, Father's the Future, yeah. Universal Brotherhood, the Mastermind. Those yeah. things are all awesome. And they do work. So I can say that. But I'm I'm not saying that because you're you're paying me some shit. I mean, I drove down to you're listen, you're in a beach house at Newport right now. You yeah. know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm, this is great. Which is why we don't fucking use the word vacation, okay?
0: No. It's just, listen, unless you're off the radar, unless you decide to put your phone away, well, then you'd be in solitude. Fuck vacation. That's another word we're gonna put in our no list. Right. Because a vacation means you're taking a break from fucking reality. Mm-hmm. And we don't allow that consciously to happen anymore. Mm-hmm. You can have a night, you can have a date night, you can have a morning. But the reason why we tap into this internal power, is so that we can be working and living simultaneously, right? Bringing podcast gear out for my son's birthday, knowing I'm going to get to spend time with you, coaching throughout my time. It's not a vacation. I'm Mm -hmm. working remotely. And -hmm. that's a much more powerful and productive word to use than vacation. So if you're listening to this, no more fucking vacations. Even when you take a vacation, because taking a vacation means you're sleeping in, means you're not getting up. You're not training. You're not working out. You're not, you just mush. Mm-hmm.
1: And that's something we don't ever want to get back to again. No. I mean, it's, it's like we rented that, that place, uh, or not rented. We got, we got that suite out there. And like I said, we racked up these points and we were able to get a cool place out in Scottsdale. And my friends are going, Oh, you're going on vacation. My clients are, <laughs> and I go, no man, I'm going to get my ass kicked for two days. <laughs> and they're like, why are you doing that? I'm like, cause I have to, it's part of my lifestyle. Yeah. You know, am, am I going to have a couple nights where I get to enjoy time with my family? Sure. But don't think I'm not going to be thinking about this the whole time. Yeah. And that's my purpose for going there. And so, again, you know, it, like you said, you're out here because this is a lifestyle.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's what I think people need to, to realize listening to this podcast is that this journey that I've taken, you know, as part of these different groups, the mastermind and then universal brotherhood, you forgot to add that I was part of that too. Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm putting myself in all these things because Mm -hmm. they're all giving me tools and it is something that I'm making a daily part of my life. And I, I, like you said, I said earlier, I wake up every day knowing that I'm the white belt. I don't think, Oh, I'm going to go to blue belt in a couple Mm -hmm. months. Like it just is what it is. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, that's... Yeah, so hold right on, I got one more for you. Yeah.
0: This is how we're going to end this show because we're sweating and the ocean's 100 yards away, so we got to go get in it. <laughs> uh, we got to get grounded, and and getting grounded is key. I used to wonder why... I was so happy whenever I'd get to Hawaii. And aside from it being Hawaii, it's because my feet are on the ground and I'm most connected. So grounding is a uh, neuroscience biohack that I recommend for everybody. And this is why, if you're listening to this on the 22nd floor in New York, you're fucking pissed off all the time. It's because you need to heal yourself internally by getting grounded. So we're about to go get grounded in the ocean. But before we go, I wanna ask you the universal question we ask just about every man that comes on this show. Your living legacy. Imagine on your drive home, God forbid something happens to you, man, and you don't make it home. Your wife, your daughter, your mom, your family, your clients, the people that have ink on them, what would you want them to know about
1: you, what would you want them to remember you for? I would want them to remember me for being a guy that truly cares about everyone I come in contact with. I love people, and oftentimes I might come across in certain senses, as this jaded, kind of... I don't think I'm scary- looking my wife isn't <laughs> uh, um, Yeah, but I care about everyone that I come in contact with and that I'm friends with like to my core Mm -hmm. and I have a lot of love. And for years I, that was looked at as like a feminine thing. I'm a sensitive dude, but I genuinely care about people and everyone that I've ever tried to have conversations with on a deeper level. It's because I truly do care and I love my family more than anything in the world. Um, and I would want them to know that if something happened to me, I died happy knowing that I put myself in an uncomfortable place to become a better guy. And that's what I've always wanted to feel. That's essentially it.
0: Mic drop. My brother, Greg Pugh, thank you for being here. Check out the Instagram, check out the website if you're interested in getting your first tat, which by the way, there's a 99.9% chance I I will be leaving here with another tattoo (laughs) before I head home. you gotta check out Greg Pugh. You gotta check out his his um, calendly, which we're gonna put in the show comments so you could just book a strategy session with him right away. This guy's taking cutting edge technology and using it to make sure he puts the right piece on you um, because it is gonna be with you for a lifetime. My brother, I appreciate you for coming.
1: Always Thanks, a pleasure,
0: man. Looking forward to Absolutely. seeing you next weekend, the crucible October 16th and 17th. Uh, If you're interested in learning more about it, all you got to do is give me a shout out. You can hit me up on my email, luke at lukekayem.com. And of course, you can check out the Fathers of the Future website as well. We appreciate you guys for being here today. Uh, One of the best conversations we've had in a long time, man. And we could have gone on for hours. So thank you, Greg, for being (laughs) here with us. Thank you guys for listening. You could be anywhere in the world, but you chose to be here with us. All we ask for in return is that you pay this message forward, share it with a friend, put it on your social media, email it out to somebody, you know, for the simple fact that the more of us fathers who are here together to work on improving and expanding, uh, the better we understand our position in life. and, And we can, we can continue to expand and grow together. Thank you for being a part of the Fathers of the Future Movement. And thank you for being here today. Peace.